If you'll please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're continuing in our study of the Word of God as Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. and We had made the transition last week from where Paul is talking about the doctrine and he's um, telling them that he is a pastor who loves them and is concerned for them, wants to be with them. And he turns now to a place in the scripture where he begins to give them practical aspects of what it means to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so that's where we find ourselves. And again, just to remind you last week, we talked about we're not saved by good works, but because of those who are saved, we are saved unto good works. And so it is a way that we show that we are changed, that we are being transformed. And so that's where we find ourselves this morning. So again, we live in a, a, a culture that is crazed uh, by sexuality. All you have to do is turn on a movie. You have to uh, just turn on a TV, listen to the radio, um, look at billboards all around us. And we have things that are out there that are suggesting anything. We have things that are going on out there that said uh, what stays here in Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays here in Vegas. We have all these kind of things that say, hey, it's okay. Just do what you want to do. Live the way that you want to live because ultimately, um, just be happy. And so whatever that might be, go ahead and do it. And there are some things that, again, are so clear and concise in the scripture, though, that speak against what the culture says. Because it seems really nice. It seems, hey, the loving thing is to be all, all, um, just do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. Just coexist, right? Believe the sticker. Just coexist. That's not the most loving thing. That's not the things that's the best for us. That's not the thing that is most glorifying to God. And so God gives us some very clear and concise things. And he says, any sexual activity outside the bounds of heterosexual marriage is forbidden. It's clear and concise. It's not optional. And so what he does, he says, this is what it means to live a life that is the best for us and is the most pleasing to him. And so we're going to be looking today at what does it mean as Paul unpacks this for us. Because again, I I really do believe that many people believe that God is here for our happiness and our pleasure. That he's here for us. But the reality is we've been created for his pleasure. That's very, very different. So let's look at the scripture this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 3 through verse 8. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to your word, Lord, we ask that it would wash over us. Lord, that it would go deep into our understanding. And Lord, that you would give us truly eyes to see and hearts to understand what it is that is pleasurable and pleasing to you. Lord, let us get outside of ourselves and get outside of our excuses and the temptation for self-satisfaction. 
and for quick, easy things. Lord, let us truly begin to grasp and understand what you've called us to be and how to act. And then, Lord, give us the Holy Spirit in abundance so that we might fulfill the call that you've given to us and bring you all glory and honor. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So there's no, nothing behind me, so I'm going to try to go very specifically so that you can fill in your outline for those that like to do the outline. So the first thing we're going to look at is the will of God, because that's how he begins. He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. So the first thing we need to ask is, how do you know God's will? Because as a pastor, this is one of the questions that I get quite often. Pastor, how do I know God's will for me in regards to what job I'm supposed to have? How do I know which job God wants me to have? God, where does, who does God, who do you want me to marry? Who is supposed to be my spouse? God, where am I supposed to live? What area, what's, what part of the town, which company am I supposed to be um, looking to? Lord, what am I supposed to do? And so a lot of times those are unknown questions. And there's not necessarily a one-shot answer. There's not just one person out there that I think God has put there. Because if one person messes up, then it messes up for everybody, right? But there are things that God has given to us that he says, this is how you might know. And so when someone comes in and asks that kind of question, I said, well, there's three things that you talk about. You say, where's your heart in it? Is your heart um, in this place? Is it with this job? Do you, do you love this person? Well, then from there you, you say, well, where's uh, the godly advice? Go to people who um, have worked for that company. Go to people where um, they've lived there. Ask them pertinent questions about what it is in regards to these uh, issues. But then there's also the most important thing is what does Scripture say about it? And that's the first thing that we should go to because that is the known And God makes it sometimes very clear, the known things, clear and concise. And so he makes it very clear in here. This is what the will of God is. Your sanctification. That's not optional. He says, I want you to be sanctified. And then he goes on to explain what that means. And so the the rest of the chapters are, are beginning to explain what does it mean to be sanctified. So we should ask the question, well, what is sanctification? Now, I know all of you are up on your order salutis. The order of salvation and how it's brought about in scripture. And so if you want to, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at verse 29 and 30. Okay, and if you can't turn there, write it down. You can look later. But this is where we go to in the scripture. It says, verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. To those he justified, he also glorified. Now, we talk about an order of salvation, the order salutis, because it gives to us um, kind of a clear, concise understanding of what happens that we don't really get. Salvation. 
How does it happen? When exactly does it happen? It's, it's something that we don't fully grasp and understand. But the order of salvation is a way for us to kind of talk about it and say, what came first? What is the process? And there is a process that happens because there is justification. We are justified by Christ, by what he did on the cross and what he gives to us, his righteousness. We're justified. Then we enter the process of sanctification. And we look forward to that day of glorification where we're going to be perfect. Now, sanctification, again, for you good Presbyterians, know that your shorter catechism question answers what is sanctification. And it says this, sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed and the whole man after the image of God, and therefore enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. So that's the two aspects. We die more and more to sin and we live unto righteousness. Why? To please God. That's our purpose of sanctification, is how do we please God? And so what happens is we ask the question, well, how do we please God and why are we pleasing God? Well, the answer comes in verses 1 and 2 of, the, of your passage, 1 Thessalonians 4, <coughs> excuse me, because he says, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave to you through the Lord Jesus. It's in Christ that we are able to perform sanctification. That's going to be very, very key because we're going to look at this. Listen, we are saved by Christ and then the Holy Spirit begins to transform us. He starts to change our thinking. And when he changes our thinking in our heart, then it affects our actions. Not the other way around. And we'll look at that specifically. So again, a lot of times what happens, especially in regards to, to Christianity, people want Jesus as their Savior. We just don't want him as our Lord. I don't want to go to hell, but I don't want to live for Christ. I don't want to give him my money. I don't, I don't want to have to answer to him. I, I don't want to have to go where he, he wants to send me. I don't want to go through sickness. I don't, I don't want to go through fill in the blank. As a youth pastor, um, I had some friends, the Johnstons, uh, who used to do these dramas at the camps we would go to. And they did one very specifically, a drama where they were talking about how this young girl was having her quiet time and uh, she did this quick quiet time in her, in her Bible and was praying and say, dear, dear God, thank you that you're with me all the time. And, you know, and then a, a laundry list of things, do this, do this, do this. And amen, cuts the Bible and, uh, and gets up. And then she gets a call on the telephone and the call is to go to a party. Uh, for the school. And so um, there's the Jesus figure that's sitting next to her and she's talking on the phone and she's trying to be now candid about what's going to be going on at the party. Oh, we're having, oh, Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid's going to be at the party. And oh, so-and-so is going to be at the party. Oh, I really, I think he's really, oh, he's cute. He's really cute. And trying to not say things in front of the Jesus uh, figure. And then she gets up to start leaving and the Jesus figure goes with her. And she's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus. I, I don't think you understand. You need to stay home here 
And I'm going to go my own way. And so you do your thing here. And then I'll come home and I'll sing Kumbaya and we'll spend our time together. But this is my time. And Jesus continues to go with her. And she gets to the point where she's so angry that she pushes Jesus and just goes, I don't want you a part of my life. And he goes into the cross figure. Very poignant. And I think a lot of times if we're honest, we want a little bit of Jesus, but not all of them. But I think it's very, very telling that Paul, listen, when Paul writes the the scriptures to the Thessalonians, he's very specific. He says, in the Lord Jesus. Every time. Not just Jesus. Not just the Christ. He says, in the Lord Jesus. And so again, it's very telling for us that we're supposed to have this desire to want to please and to honor God. And so what Paul does is he then starts to break it down in different areas. And we're going to be seeing it as we go through each week. But this week, he starts off by um, talking about um, purity. And so he says in verses uh, 4 through 6a, he says this. Now, each one of you, uh, that you should abstain from sexual morality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one may transgress and wrong his brother in this manner. So those are the things. Those are those three areas. So I want you to understand that those are your points. So he's given his instruction for purity. And the first thing he starts to say is, I want you to abstain. I want you to abstain from this. Now, again, this is not what our culture says because our culture says, if you're just careful, just be careful. Just make sure that you don't um, affect anyone else. That's a, a false reality. God is very clear and concise in the scripture. He says you are to abstain from sexual immorality. And so there's a call to purity. And the first thing, the first point is he says, I want you to control yourself. So the first thing we need to know is to know ourselves. You really need to have an honest evaluation. What are my struggles? What are my temptations? What are the things that I can overlook? And all of us have it. Again, we're inundated with images. We're inundated with things. And so there are times um, I get yelled at by my wife in, in regards to if I have the TV on and there's a, a commercial, I'm watching a program and it can be whatever, and I just begin to check out. And so a commercial comes on and she's like, honey, what are you watching? And it's just like, I'm watching the TV show. It's the commercial. What's the big deal? Your son's in the room. Oh, Yeah. So there's things that, again, we begin to overlook. Why? Because we become desensitized. And so what he says, he says, one, have an honest evaluation of who you are. And as you have an honest evaluation of who you are, then as you know yourself, put together practical discipleship. What do I mean by that? It means, are you praying about those issues? Are you looking in the word? Do you know scripture to rattle off for those temptations? Do you understand about what it means to have accountability in regards to all those areas? Be practical. If, if you have a relationship and you're in with a, a spouse or a friend or something like that, you, you should never have a phone that you can lock people out of. Not the people who know you. Now, I'm not saying don't have a 
code on there so people don't pick up your phone and, and look at it or whatever. But someone needs to have your code that they can look at every text message, everything that you do. Your computer should not be in your bedroom. It should be out in a public place where anybody can see it at all times. There are things, listen, as a, as a pastor and stuff like that, I won't get on an elevator alone with just a woman. Why? Because I'm such a bad person? No, because of the, the things that can happen. I want to protect myself and protect other people. It's why there are windows in all the doors of all the offices. You need to feel secure and safe. And so we need to make sure that we put practical discipleship things all around us so that we understand and know ourselves. Because the next thing he says is, now you control yourself in holiness and honor. Now holiness is our actions before God. Listen, as a youth pastor, here are the questions that I would get from teenagers a lot of times. Pastor Jeff, how far can I go and not be in trouble? What's acceptable? What can I do and not do? Because they wanted that technical line. They wanted that thing of saying, okay, if I do this, well, I'm still, I'm still okay. But if I cross this line, well, now I've sinned. You know what my response to them was? You're asking the wrong question. Because if you're asking that question, you've already missed the point. You should be asking this question in all things, in all places, at all time. By what I am doing, am I glorifying and honoring God? So then it doesn't become a degree of what am I doing with my girlfriend, is that okay? If Jesus was there... And you are to be glorifying and honoring him. That's not even a question of how far is too far. Holiness. And then the second thing he says, honor. We're to honor one another. Again, the the world is sitting there and they said, live for yourself. Look out for number one. God says, no, you honor others more than yourself. You know, if I had spouses that came in and said, man, I want my spouse to look more like Jesus and and I'll do anything to to make that happen. What kind of problems do you think they're going to bring into my office? Very few. But if they come in, they go, you know what they don't do for me? You know what they aren't doing? You know what they do do that I don't like? we always about us. Then we miss the point. Honor one another and how we treat one another. The second thing, he says, not only control yourself, but we're supposed to be recognizing that we are transformed once we are saved. See, Paul's very specific, and especially in other places, in Colossians and Ephesians, he says, take off the old self and put on the new. So we take off the old. And you know what he says to them? Now, I mean, how frustrating is this or how offensive is this? He says, hey, don't have the passions of lust like the Gentiles. Now, who's he talking to? Gentiles. 
hey, Gentiles, don't be like you. Now, how offensive is that? Gentiles don't be Gentiles. Now, what he's saying is, hey, the way you used to be was you lived in the passions of the desire. And even in regards to the the religious aspects, there were people that it was okay to do whatever you wanted to do, however you wanted to do it. And so the, the perspective was, hey, you had these selfish desires. Now I'm telling you, don't give in to the selfish desires because now you know God, you know what he wants from you. You understand about purity. And so again, that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas or what happens in Thessalonica stays in Thessalonica. It's not true. It's not live it up because listen, sin goes with you. And only does sin go with you, but it affects other people. And so God says, put off the old, take off the old and put on the new. And what happens is when we, when we're changed and we begin to fill our lives, not with the things of the old, we begin to put the things of Christ on us. Then we start saying questions like, Lord, let me be with you as much as I can. I mean, for those who have ever been in love, I mean, truly in love, I mean, those first days, months, weeks, and stuff like that, remember you couldn't get enough of each other. You know, those who are now years into marriage, you're like, can't you go away for a while? I've got an, I've had enough of you. Well, that shouldn't be the reality. But the first part is, is unrealistic too. Well, I want to spend every waking moment with you. You're the greatest. I'm so tired. But I want to spend all my time with you. Okay? Why don't we do that in our relationship with Jesus Christ? I want to be with you, Jesus, more than anything. You are the one I seek to be a part of. You're the one who gives my life full of meaning, hope, and joy. And again, we're we're transformed because it's not legalism. Listen, if we try to do things in our own power, it'll last for a short momentary time. And it'll become uh, burdensome. You know, the, the people, um, when I worked at, at Village 7, we were a church of about 1,600 people. And that sounds great. Hey, let's be a big church. But again, every time that you grow by a family, you grow by good things, but you also grow by problems. And there, in that size of the church, every month we had someone that was caught in an infidelity. And so we'd have to start this trial and this process of going through this every month. And again, you know, the people that I struggled with the most was the ones who were the most legalistic in their families. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. And you know what? When you get caught up in a place where all you do is legalism and you don't know Jesus and you don't know freedom, you explode. And so it's those people who would then go off and go, I don't believe in God anymore. And we'll walk away from their families. You were just beating your child because he was watching a TV show that you didn't like. And now all of a sudden, you don't believe in Jesus anymore? Because they never knew him. It's all legalism. So Paul's not saying, do these things out of legalism. He's saying, do this because you're changed by the gospel. 
Because you're falling deeper and deeper in love with Christ and Christ has already loved you perfectly. And then the last thing he says in regards to this point, he says, so that no one transgress and wrong his brothers in this matter. So again, your sin affects other people. My sin affects other people. There is no such thing as a private sin. That's a lie. It always affects other people. Don't believe me? Watch the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. It tells you, that, as weird as that is, that's a great movie to see the interconnectedness of relationships. You never know. And so there are things that are going on that you're not even aware of and it begins to affect people in good ways and in bad ways. I've told you, some of you before, um, one of the elders that I worked with in Chattanooga, my first church, um, was saved in a hotel room listening to a gospel presentation in another room. So he's listening through these walls that are paper thin. He hears the gospel message and is saved. You never know who's listening. You never know what God is doing and how he's using things. But we also recognize that our sin also affects others. And again, I mean, so my parents went through a divorce. And so I went through a time because um, I was new in the faith, didn't really know any better, wasn't really being discipled. And so I became bitter. And I felt like if, if I have to live in this pain, then I don't care who I hurt. So if I treat people wrong at school, I don't care. So here's my, my, my parents' sin that not only affects them, but it affects me that affects other people. So you never know. And so it affects, first of all, those involved. It affects those that are connected to it. But it also, most importantly, it affects Christ. It affects him. And it caused him to go to the cross. So Paul said this very clearly. Hey, control yourself. And as you control yourself, I want you to understand what it means to to honor other people, to maintain holiness. And I want you to understand that your sin affects other people. So he gives to that instruction. But then he also gives us a reason for the purity. And so we find that in uh, 6b through the end of verse 8. Why in regards to this? And it says, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards, <coughs> excuse me, not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So he gives you reasons for the purity. He's saying, be, be holy, be sanctified, be pure. Now I'm going to tell you why. Why? First, God is the avenger. God is the avenger. See, he is the judge. And Paul said very specifically, you've been told and you have been solemnly warned. We have been told clear and concise this is what it means to maintain purity. And he says, there will come a day of reckoning, whether now or later. So again, there are some people who deal with the consequences for their actions, whether through broken relationships, 
broken marriages. Trust is destroyed. You can get diseases. Abortions happen because of this. Children are affected by this. So all of these things can happen, and there are consequences in this life. But you could say, oh, well, I did some of these things, and I didn't have a kid outside of marriage. I didn't have this. I didn't get a disease or whatsoever. God is the avenger, not only of this life, but the next as well. We're going to be held accountable. And so he says, here's the warning. God is the one who's the avenger. And only that, he says, as God is the avenger, he's given to us his standard. It's not man. It's not man's standard or law. Why? Because what do we say? Every time that we get a chance to stand firm on things, do whatever you want to do. Be happy, right? That's not what God says. God says, here's the standard. You don't break it because it's my standards. It's not... Jeff's standard. It's not the church's standard. It's God's standard. And so when we disregard it, we're disregarding Him. We disregard Him. And so again, remember it's a process. I don't think anybody is here and says, man, I really want to mess up my, my relationships with people. I hope I can destroy people. I hope I can just blow up relationships with people and stuff like that. It's a process. We saw it with King David. King David was supposed to be out with his people at war. He's not. He stayed home. He goes up on his roof. He sees a woman naked on her roof. He should have looked away. But no, he looks and he says, man, she's pretty good looking. Who is she? And how do they answer? That's Bathsheba, the wife of... Now that should have made him stop right there. Oh, she's married. But he proceeds... Oh, bring him home. Let's, let me cover up my sin. And then he's so good, he doesn't get the process to cover up the sin. So he murders to cover it up. It's a process. Every step we take towards sin nature is another step where we kind of go, well, it's not that big of a deal, right? I'm not, I'm not having a, a sexual relationship. I'm just having an emotional relationship with this person. See, God says, look at your heart and your mind. And I'm telling you, it is wrong if it goes against the purity of what God has said. And so it's God's standard. And so we, if we disregard it, we disregard God, not man. And then the third thing he says about this, he says, it's, I have given to you the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit dwells in us. So every time that someone goes into a process of sin, listen, if you are a Christian, you're taking the Spirit with you. See, he's indwelling with us. And he, the thing that the Spirit's doing, what is he doing all the time? He's pushing us to Jesus. And what do we keep doing? Shut up. Shut up. I want to do my own thing. I want to do it my way. I want to do it in my process. But the Holy Spirit, what he does, he equips us. He's always bringing us back to the scripture. He's always trying to lead us into prayer. He's always trying to lead us into accountability. He's always trying to point us to Jesus. And you know what? That's a long and grueling process. And anybody who says they figured it out is lying to you. It's long. 
It's grueling to be disciplined over and over and over again to point us back. Now, this really seems like a very harsh sermon. And this is not... I wish these things weren't in there. I wish I could just preach butterflies and buttercups to you all the time. And you would love me and you would send me on cruises and rise up and call me blessed. Now you're just like, you've made me uncomfortable because this is a sin that affects a lot of people. Here's the hope. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is hope and forgiveness and mercy and grace. And Christ tells us to run back to Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean we get a, a card to do whatever we want to. Remember, Paul said, well, if grace abounds because sin abounds, then let's go out and sin some more, right? No. But because we are forgiven, then we begin to give forgiveness and mercy and grace away to other people. See, so we've got to love We've got to forgive the way that Christ loves and forgives. Listen, if you have found yourself in a pattern of sin, and specifically this sin, which is so prevalent in our world, confess your sin. Delete the stuff off of your phones and off your computers. Be held accountable. Go and speak to people. Confess your sins. If you've sinned against someone, go and confess your sin to them. Ask someone to hold you accountable. Put practical things in it. I tell you, if I have a subscription to Sports Illustrated, there is going to come a swimsuit issue. So who gets the, the mail in my family? Not me. So they can take it and throw it away. Be practical. And then pray that God allows you to continue to love and to grow in your sanctification. Please, God. I know you're tired. People are starting to, their eyes are starting to close. Listen to this. And this is not a lie. This is not to make myself look better than I am. When I got married 27 plus years ago, great day. Love the wedding day. Florida State cake for groom cake and all that kind of stuff. Nuts and punch and all sorts of fun things. And stuff like that. I look back on that day and go, we were such not smart people. And we might have been in love, but we weren't that much in love. Because 27 years later, I am way more in love with my wife now. Way more pleased with my wife now. And I know that's not true for all relationships. But man, my relationship with my wife, I'm just like, man, I... The things, the selfishness I used to do 27 years ago, she doesn't have to deal with. And she loves me being a pastor. Why? Because I get beat up by the scripture all the time. I'm a way better pastor when I do counseling and stuff. But what's my purpose 27 years into it? I want to please my wife because I love her. 
And I want her to be cherished and to know that she is loved and protected. Now, take that to another level with Jesus Christ. Are you falling deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into love with your Savior? Or are you running from him? See, he's there waiting with open arms. Come back. Confess your sins. I'm faithful. And I'm just. And I've paid for that sin and all the sins after. Come home. Come home. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again... Sometimes hard passages, and yet you call us to do that because we need to hear what it means to grow in sanctification, to die to sin, and to live unto righteousness. Lord, where there are hard times and hard relationships, and Lord, there is brokenness in this room even. Lord, heal, restore. Lord, make this a place of confession and healing and forgiveness and mercy and grace because all of us fall short all of us needed you to go to the cross and all of us need your righteousness but father make may we make no mistake that we are called unto sanctification And Lord, that our desire is that we grow deeper in love with you. And as we grow deeper, we're transformed. And as we're transformed, our actions would suggest that we're yours. And we do it to give you all glory and honor. May this be said of us, and this we pray in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen.